0: You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast.
1: The Podcast of Terror is a show with adult themes, run by adults, for adults. Please do not have your children listen to this show. It might be beneficial to them in the long run, but please, please wait until they are older. This is one of those things, it's like when you laugh when you're playing bingo and you, and 069 comes up and you have a chuckle and your mom, your kitty says... Uh, Uh, Mommy, Mommy, why why are you laughing at 069? And the mommy says, uh, when you're older. It's one of those kinds of things. Mommy, Mommy, can I listen to Podcasts of Terror? Sure. When you're older. This is a show with adult themes and some childish behavior. A lot of dick jokes. Uh, So please, 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 uh, if you want to avoid the swearing, if you want to avoid spoilers for your favorite horror movies, and if you want to avoid really, really lame, petty dick jokes, do not listen to this show. It is not for you.
2: Corey, how often do you wear a shirt? Not as often as you would think. Yeah, it's always nice to cover up your nipples, and maybe your neighbors are complaining because they're hairy. I know you they, like your, they, you wear, you wear shirts when it, we do these shows. That's about it, from what I understand. It's more that I just give off a glare that blinds drivers by. It is hot in California, so I assume that you sweat. There's a, there's a slight sheen to you, and the California sun just... I don't even sheen. I Estevez. <laughs> that, that is... If you do not want to Estevez in public... We have two places in which you can go. we got two coupon codes to make your life a little cheaper. Uh, you can go visit a uh, frequent guest and friend of the show, Matt Vincent. His his website, thehate.com. That's the H-V-I-I-I dot com. Use the coupon code HBG15 for 50% off your order. Maybe you hate him. I don't know. He's he's kind of a likable guy. But if you hate him and you want to go spend your money somewhere else, we got this other place. Go to statusfearmerch.com. Uh, Another uh, sponsor of the show, friend of the show. He does all our artwork. He's a really nice guy. He does all the the art for my band, except for the stuff that Corey's wife draws. Head over to statuspheremerch.com. Use the coupon code TERROR. Get you a little nice discount there. (laughs) Welcome to episode one hundred and six of the podcastedir production of the Galactic Network. I'm your host Matt Stein. With me, as always, is Corey. I really like Beyonce. Scott, I'm sorry, I had nothing. I mean, else. I don't, I don't like Beyonce as much as I I respect what she does and semi worship her. All right, that got weird. So um, I'm gonna kind of rush through this because we were having a conversation prior to recording, which I want to continue while recording. And I'm also a poor planner, so I have no proper intro written for this man, <laughs> other than. Glenn Rubinstein, doer of many things,
1: because
2: literally <laughs> you do it. a lot of things, and normally I'm like, hey, what do you do? What do you want me to talk about? But uh, I'm just going to let you do that now.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, everyone. So I host some podcasts. I uh, work in podcast advertising, and I've been around the scene, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> back when there was a scene?
1: Yeah, back when there was a scene. No, but I mean, I, like, I guess the po- now it's the podcast scene, right? It's sort of That's this true. idea. Um, so yeah. No, I'm glad to be back, guys.
2: You do you want to talk about the podcast to do or you don't care?
1: Uh, I mean, it's hey,
2: it's entirely up to you.
1: I wrote a book about podcast advertising. People seem to like it. Um, I, I host in secret, not really in secret, but I don't talk about it a lot. But I host uh, the Wrestling Inc. podcast. So if you ever look at my Twitter feed and you're like, this guy talks about wrestling a lot. It's because I'm live tweeting Monday Night Raw. And uh, yeah, man, I you know got into this business. Now I'm on the business side of things uh, with my own podcast advertising agency. But you know, the way I know Corey and I know you guys is that, you know, I've once many moons ago, was an aspiring podcaster, led to me working at the Twit Network on a failed video game podcast. I became the director of marketing there, got involved in podcast ad sales, and thus the shade of my career uh, was launched.
0: Yeah, we actually just had Patrick Delahanty on Nerds week before last, Uh, and I got to name drop you, and you just saw the look in his face like, huh? And I'm
1: like, yeah.
2: Small
1: that actually describes me and Patrick's relationship pretty perfectly. Uh, just sort of like, sort of like, I know we're into a lot of the same stuff, but we're not friends, and we've never really gotten along. We've occasionally had some less awkward conversations, but just kind of like, yeah, we know of each other. That, yeah. that that's a fact. We live in the same town. Huh. Interesting. Well,
2: for more on this podcast, including show notes, contact information, subscription links, you can go to gncast.com/pot. Uh, you go chat with us on Slack channel during our shows, gncast.com slash up, And while you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Um, one more quick thing before we do go back to what we were talking about. W- what are you guys drinking? Probably
1: water. Uh, I got my, my time travel pizzeria water glass. I a different one than last time. We bought, last time we had the blue Pepsi, but now I'm repping the old school uh, the red, red Coca-Cola. Yeah.
0: How about you, Corey? Uh, I am, I'm seeing it. I almost brought a Mountain Dew in here and I, I just forgot. By the time the show actually started, yeah, that's fine.
2: I'm drinking a it's a bourbon barrel aged uh, sour stout called Mexican Cake Illuminati. Ooh, I wish I was <laughs> kidding. Which I grabbed it because I started listening to Tom DeLonge on uh, Joe Rogan and realized that he's fucking insane. Just throwing yeah. that out there. No, absolutely. Yeah, we could talk about that a little later. I want to get back to the music conversation we we're having.
1: Yeah, is he, is he notes.
0: certifiable like Billy Corgan insane though? Because I heard he was just on Joe Rogan too, and oh, that guy Billy seems Ro- kind of uh, up.
2: B- Billy Corgan was on Rogan. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> no, no, I mean, Tom DeLong, and I know this because I like subscribe to the Blink 182 subreddit where every other post is about like, man, Tom is on some shit lately. Mm-hmm. Um, just aliens are real, Area 51 is a thing, the government's been covering up I mean. He, He is now making this kind of his uh, endeavor, right? I mean, it's a business endeavor now that he's launching to, I guess, expose the truth. Things that will blow your mind. This is beyond Art Bell. The
2: The last part I recall was he was talking about how this company that he started and it has money invested in knows how to shoot terahertz at a hunk of metal and then you shoot a proton over the top of it and it makes it lighter. And that's how they're proving that spaceships are built in zero gravity and that life lives elsewhere. Was it's, he aiming that at U.S. officials in Cuba? He is also was talking about how he like started talking about how, uh, UFO, or excuse me, he hates calling them UFOs. They are aerial threats, which I, is like, when I, when he said that, I was like, this is going to be fucking great.
0: As opposed to oral threats,
2: yeah. which is something you know, that Tom DeLonge has ever done with music. Hey oh well I like come Blink on. One Eighty Two though, so yeah, I can't really <laughs> you know. I, I can't stand it. Oh and it's funny
1: though you All think right. back now to that aliens exist song yep. uh from yep. uh Enema of the State and you just kinda like, oh the journey he has been on. Well you if know? you
2: if you look at like a lot of the Blink One Eighty Two albums and everything, like you can totally tell that he was he's been an aliens for a very long time.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that question, though, you know, what would you rather listen to at length? You know, uh, Oliver Stone talk about JFK and uh, those conspiracy theories. Tom DeLonge talk about, you know, his alien theories and, and proof there or Corey Feldman talk at length about his music Ugh. career and how um, there's been a conspiracy, you know, to uh, keep his music from succeeding.
2: There was, he was, he was looking like... for a uh, bodyguard and I was trying to convince my, li- my wife to let me apply. She <laughs> said no. I'm like, but I could be Corey Feldman's bodyguard. <sighs> uh,
1: you know, I figured I saw him live. He was in Petaluma.
2: I wanted to go when he was in Green go. Bay, and I didn't go. How was it? Uh, better <laughs> than
1: you think. Here's here's what I figured out with the Corey Feldman thing. First, first, props to him for everything he's doing to expose oh, yeah, the seedy yeah. or darker side of Hollywood. Um, yep. He's had a rough life. Definitely, there was no rule book for how he, you know, came up and the things he's dealt with. I think people, if, if he did not do the Michael Jackson cosplay tribute part of his act, uh, yeah, people yeah, would yeah. take his music a hundred times more seriously.
0: Just like we take uh, Keanu Reeves' music seriously or Brad Pitt's people music don't... seriously.
1: That's, it's like, Brad but, Pitt's music? Hmm.
0: yeah, apparently um, yeah. It, it just like there's there's something to be said for we wouldn't probably mock him to the same degree, but people mock Dogstar. It, it's, it's okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but it's that it's, it's now you can't think of Corey Feldman and his music without thinking of that Mr. Show sketch. Uh, I can't remember the fake name, but they had the guy that kept them in slow motion him doing the Michael Jackson dance in the line with the front of the paparazzi. Uh, just, you know, that's what comes to mind for me every time now, but no, his, his music is all right. Even that song that came out a year and a half ago, uh, when he was on the state show for, I mean, it's not the worst thing, you know, to what we were talking about earlier, I think it's it's, – I'd put it in the better half of most stuff I would call current music. It's not great, but it's not terrible. But it's a Michael Jackson thing that people just kind of go like, okay, this is really overt. This isn't an influence thing. This is an imitation thing. Well, and he's, he's pretty
2: open about his relationship and how close he was with Michael Jackson too. Absolutely. So that kind of makes it worse in my opinion because that would be like – now, God forbid, something would happen to Corey. I wish no harm to Corey ever. But say something happened to Corey – and I went and got a different co-host and then I just started dressing like Corey and I grew long gray hair and drank Lipton iced tea all the time.
0: It's coming. It's coming fast, <laughs> it's,
2: but it's, it's just fucking weird. And it's not like, well, I really admire this person. It's like, yeah, we had a close relationship and then something happened to them. And now I am just trying to be that person.
1: Yeah. Actually, you know, people are very dismissive. I think when it's seen as that, when it's seen as a, uh, but it, with Michael Jackson, it's a weird one. I mean, that's, no offense to Corey Feldman, but that seems like that's really lifting up Corey Feldman high to be like, oh, he was riding Michael Jackson's coattails. <laughs> it's true. just kind of like, <laughs> I mean, not quite the same sentence. It was more of an imitation thing. But I get what you're saying. Um, you know who else had that that uh, was reading about and uh, watching the TV movie about was uh, this guy out of the 80s, Maryland, out of the UK. And he was like best friends with Boy George. And then he released oh. a song that sounded like Boy George. I think his I heard book about was this. androgynous. George, yep. um, the famous story is that he's on uh, he's on Band Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? Not because he was invited; he just showed up at the studio and like somehow weasled <laughs> his way into it. Um, but that's the thing: you can't be too closely associated with someone and do something just like them and expect people to be kind of like, okay, yeah, we take this seriously; it's its mm-hmm. own thing, you know.
0: Uh, I, Andrew originally wishes that he sounded more like George Michael when he put out his album, but uh,
1: no, it I. <laughs>
0: It's funny because the other person that we know that spent a lot of time hanging out with Michael Jackson is Macaulay Culkin. And Macaulay Culkin definitely went down a fucking weird path in, into adulthood and stuff and, and didn't necessarily do it by imitating Michael, except for in the whatever Simpsons music video thing that he showed up in. But um, it was still like, yeah, maybe hanging out with Michael Jackson is bad for young actors. And and you can you can presume stuff happened you can presume that it didn't happen i don't that to me is always for the courts to decide but just proximity says your kids hanging out with michael jackson was probably a bad deal
1: isn't it weird how the public perception of that whole thing has changed not only since he's died but in light of everything there's this reckoning that hollywood is going under now and you look at bill cosby and all these other things that have come out the now in hindsight michael jackson thing there's a lot more reasonable doubt being pushed now than what people thought for the last 20 years or 15 years of his life.
0: Is it forgiveness because he's gone and because he was a master? We talked about it a little bit last week that there was a Halloween special that was based around Michael Jackson that premiered this year and had Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory in it. Uh, it was on CBS. And I'm just like, what, what is this that you're doing? Like, I don't understand the, the like, it's not like you're playing Captain EO on a holiday and, and we all get to see that because that went away from Disney or something. It's like you're making a new special, uh, basically name tying Michael Jackson to it for Halloween of all things. And, and I just like, I'm not sure where that is coming from and what they're doing to, to decide who, who, who planned that out and thought this is a great idea.
1: Well, I mean, to look at what Disney did, that was Captain EO was was gone for 15 years or so. And then after he died because of the public outpouring and affection that people had for Michael Jackson after his death, Captain EO almost a decade long run at Disneyland and Disney World towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, didn't it take away the Muppets? Uh, no, no. At it, it, Disneyland, it's those are in separate parks. OK. Um, and at Disney World, too.
0: Yeah, and I never saw the, the Captain Neo thing, so the, I'm not sure okay. exactly how it was.
1: It's um, oh. it's all right. You know, I, w- we were at, uh, I spoke at NAB this year, uh, and we were in Vegas, and we decided we were going to go to a couple shows. We went and saw like, Donnie and Marie. Um, we actually went and saw Jimmy Eat World, who was on tour there, and I said, you know, nice. I really didn't get the Beatles, Cirque, Love thing at Caesars, but I said, I've heard good things about the Cirque, Michael Jackson, One show, And Mandalay Bay, let's go to that. And I have to say that was phenomenal, you know? And I think, uh, Corey, I mean, you'll get this. Is there something about, I think, if you just sort of give into it, you know, and you see an experience like that, it does take you back to this idea, whether you were a huge fan or not. For me, it's like this ultimate nostalgia. I think people sort of took for granted after a while. I mean, he he was like the biggest thing in, in music and perhaps in all of entertainment for a good portion and certainly of my childhood. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, I'll definitely it's easy break out. Sort of forget about that.
0: I'll break out off the wall sometimes and play yeah. it. Or I was listening to the Jacksons, the whole album uh, "Victory" not too long ago.
1: Oh
0: wow! Yeah, it, cool. it's it, I, I absolutely admire his stuff, and yeah. and I mean he was a big part of me growing up as a kid. Not that I was like the biggest Michael Jackson fan in the world, but because you just couldn't not l- hear his music. And, and certainly from being a kid in the seventies in Detroit up through the eighties and stuff in Michigan, it was, it was everywhere. I'm sure it was everywhere, no matter where you were. And it was really quality stuff. I I definitely felt there was a change in, in his stuff going into bad. And then everything after bad became less and less important to me, but it was also, I was hearing it as an adult when my musical taste had changed and I wasn't listening to the type of radio. I would hear his stuff as often as I did before, um, But that was also the same thing as we were hearing rumors and things at that point. So it was hard to decide to still be okay with listening to Michael Jackson at that point.
1: (laughs) Good to prepare that because I'm sure in recent memory, like we live in a culture now where I think a lot of people are going to really start cutting their uh, TV, movie, and music collections—you know, reducing them drastically as uh, every single day. I don't know about yeah. you guys now. I feel like I did uh, after the election where it's like waking up like, oh, what did Trump do now? And now it's waking up to be like, OK, who who'd they get today? You know? <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. It's the, the next sequel to The Purge is going to be somebody just going through their DVD and music library yeah. and just throwing things out like, oh, can't watch that anymore. I Can't listen to that anymore. But we talked about this a little bit last week, too. And Matt had said something about a band that he liked yeah. for a long time. <laughs> and and then they were. <laughs> <laughs> they, they kind of maybe murdered some people. I don't remember no, exactly. What the no, no.
2: But it was. <laughs> the, <laughs> are you familiar with the band Decapitated, Glenn?
1: No. Okay, I thought I thought you were gonna go to to a different one there. But no, no, nothing no, no. no. With
2: it. So the band Decapitated was recently extradited to California on accusations of gang raping two girls. Oh Jesus! Yeah, show. yeah. So their yeah. their last album was very, very good in my opinion, and it's like now. <laughs> do I feel, like, do I feel uncomfortable going to listen to it because of, like, now knowing what kind of people they are? Or do you separate the people from the, the art, and like, is it okay to listen to them? Because... I
0: mean, but that's the thing with Michael Jackson, too, is yeah. that even if, if everything turned out to be true, and it, it's, it's kind of pointed out in the Dave Chappelle skit, but you have memories of, of listening to that stuff. It, I don't listen to a Michael Jackson album and think about Michael Jackson. I think about all the times in my life that I've heard that stuff before and how that brings that back. It was, it was a part of the background of great points and moments in my lifetime. And so I don't listen to the music to support him. And, and you don't necessarily listen to those albums to support the band, although you did at first it's it's more about you know but this was something that meant something to me at a different level it's it's the same thing of having ties to a celebrity that passes away it's like no one claims that they knew who tom petty was as a person or um who david bowie was as a person we we liked their stuff and so in our minds we have a connection to them but it's a connection with their art more than them as people and they could have been very, very different in private life than they appeared to us in public life uh or or exactly the same, but it doesn't matter because we gather what we need from it and we make it into our own experiences,
1: yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of conflicted rush hour and money talks fans that are saying, like "How can I enjoy that movie still
0: i I asked <laughs> how you could have enjoyed rush hour in the first place no.
1: Uh... I mean, I think for everyone it's, it's the Louis CK thing now, right? Like that's right. the one that's yep. really bringing it home for people of the, how do I reconcile my appreciation for the work of someone? And that's, you know, not to make light of anything, obviously the Brett Radner has done or is accused of doing. Um, but I think that with some of these, they're not people that were held in like the highest regard artistically. And so it presents the, the better their art is, the harder it is to recon- reconcile the, the bad actions of an artist.
0: The Bill Cosby thing like they're still playing the Cosby show on TV all the time. There are days when that thing is just marathoning. And I'm like, I I admire you for having the courage to keep playing this. But but it's also courageous to not play it. I I, I just I don't know how I feel about it. It's very, very tough, especially when you see someone who hasn't had to pay any consequences mm. For what they've done, and I, I think that's always the thing that stands apart to me between a uh, Roman Polanski and the uh, the guy who did Jeepers Creepers three. Although he's far less riggable now that I saw Jeepers Creepers three as opposed mm. to the first two movies. Um, <laughs> but it's just like if you just if you just see the person who just gets away with it and feels no remorse and doesn't give a shit, it's that much more of a, a stab in in a like I really admired this person. Versus the oh well this was just this first was an asshole was always an asshole and I don't give a crap about Woody Allen's work in the first place so who the fuck cares that he's an awful guy everybody should hate him anyway yeah. Yeah. it's like mm, for somebody else it's it's a much harder thing to choose.
1: Oh, no. And I mean, these stories that are coming out are horrible. And granted, you know, it's three white guys. I don't think we really have anything to add to the discussion about just all, not alike all the things that uh, are coming to light now. And I think it, it is a change, right? Change sometimes happens in a very painful way, but but it needs to happen um, for me. My experience with this, and God, this seems so quaint now by comparison to all these horrible things that have happened. But in 2004, I volunteered. It was a huge supporter of Democratic presidential candidate John Edwards. Oh, yeah. Um, Huge. I mean, I was just like, this is the guy, man. This is the guy, you know, and then his whole thing happened. And it doesn't seem so quaint now that he just like had an affair and a baby he denied was his. You know, I mean, that just seems kind of Well, his wife was dying from cancer. uh, If you read Game Change. Mm -hmm. It's not like it was a picture book marriage. That's all I'll say. You know? Right. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, but that's the thing. It's it's just it keeps upping this level. It's just that it's like the, the acts. I, I think soon there was there's going to be more of a scale to it. And I think we're already kind of see that. And it's not people justifying what's right, but it's saying that okay, well there's uh, inappropriate, there's awkward, there's serialized predatory behavior, and then there's just like felony sexual assault. And I think and then that- there's refuge in Alabama. Yeah. I, I think people are gonna start shading it soon just because it's you we don't wanna um have uh compassion or outrage fatigue, right? I mean I think that every woman who has been wrong deserves to be heard and deserves to have her claim taken seriously, but it uh at the tired if they feel like every day it's and not just women because it's men too, but I'm saying if they feel like every day it's some new thing, I think soon people are going to start sort of grading the levels of these and trying to put them into different buckets because I think that's going to be the only way for people to process and move forward with this.
0: Yeah, and it's so it seems so generally easy to dismiss uh, women and and specific women. It's like, who took Janice Dickinson seriously the amount of Mm -hmm. times that she talked about what happened to her? And and at some point, people have not paid attention or or um not taking rose mcgowan seriously because yeah it, it seemed like well rose mcgowan's very different today and it seems like you know maybe she's not all together it's like but that doesn't mean first of all why is she like that if if she actually is and if it's not just a, a perception and and two you know that doesn't mean that what she's saying is false it's it's difficult and and you're right we're we're three white guys um what do we add to this conversation We're certainly not supposed to be in charge of it, but we we should lend support. But this is also like week two of talking about this. And like I said last week, this podcast is not going to solve a goddamn thing about it.
1: No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's part of it. And that's actually I was thinking about this today. Um, and specifically to Green Room The film we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. And if you look at the state of horror movies right now I mean we see something like It that comes out That's almost a bit of a throwback to this bygone era Of more creating mythology And doing more traditional, you know, monster movies um, But I think Green Room is a, a reflection In almost the second wave of what we saw happen 15 years ago with Hostel and the Purge Or not the Purge, pardon me, Hostel and the First Saw movies And this idea of amplified violence and intensity in horror As a reflection of the times we live in, so I think that you know we've seen that come back recently in terms of horror movies. I don't know about you guys, you know I browse Reddit a lot for recommendations, and I feel like every horror movie or even drama that people are recommending, they talk about the intensity, the unflinching nature of it. It's it's almost these movies that to me I I joke with my wife and say, you know I feel like this is almost too real to watch, Um, especially with the drama. You know we view movies as an escape, not a chance to just feel worse about all the things in life that we have to go through. Um, but if movies and especially horror, I mean, have always been a reflection of the times they're made in. I think it would be very interesting to see going forward, you know, with what's going on now, how art reacts to society.
0: Yeah, because uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I thought the same thing is that with the the themes in green room, it's like, holy shit, this is very timely, but it was two years ago. And that stuff hadn't bubbled to the surface like it has in the last year of the the neo-nazis and everything else it was like there was an awareness but there wasn't this intensity of like oh shit this is not only out there this is accepted by a much larger portion of the the nation than what i would have ever thought yeah um and that's very hard to watch at this point in time as entertainment um because it's just it's so discomforting because it's the kind of stuff you want to watch a movie to tune out from yeah. Instead of, of going deeper in it. I think I remember an article about the X Files. The X Files was really popular at the time that it came out because the um the intrigue and the conspiracy theory stuff and all like that was silly compared to like how people felt about the government at that point in time. It's like the the deepest we were willing to go at, at that point was, oh, the president gets a blowjob in the Oval Office. You know, that's shitty. And and Lunky we should guy. impeach the guy. Real yeah. Lucky. But it, it's like on the scale of like horrible things. And then we get to nine 11 and it's fucking X-Files can't stand up against that. Yeah. And, and who wants to watch stuff that's going to be about that other than watching whatever the YouTube video was, uh, dry lint, spare change. I don't remember, but it's like, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of stuff like, if you want to follow the conspiracy theory, sure. That that's your, your rabbit hole to jump down. But for most consumers, it's like, I want to see something that's gonna take me out of this. I want to see the Devil Wars Prada.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. So I had the thought, I gotta say, Matt, when I sat down to rewatch this, I was I was thinking, did I make a mistake? Did I make a mistake oh, in picking this? I love as this as a movie? movie. No, not because it's a bad movie. I actually think it's phenomenally well done, but in the sense of The first time I watched it, I'd heard so much about it on Reddit. I guess we should probably talk to people about if you want to recap on what it is. But the first time I watched it, it was a sense of that I heard this is a really, really intense movie. I wonder if I can make it through it because I've heard that it's worthwhile in being able to face this, you know, to literally flinch away from this unflinchingly brutal um, violence that happens in this film. And watching it the second time, it was the thought of why did I choose to sit down and watch this again?
0: I assumed uh, that all you're ever going to bring us is movies that have uh, Aaliyah Shawkat. At,
1: I thought that as well, <laughs> uh,
0: which I would not complain about, although I'd like her to not die all the time
1: yeah, because I keep thinking about, you know, what are movies supposed to be? And I think that movies for a lot of us are an escape. And in this one, um, yeah, it's. I have so much appreciation for it. And I think it's so incredibly well done, but, um, I I guess it's sort of this idea of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like a challenge to sort of make it through a movie like this, but it's this idea that you want to go on this, you want to go on this ride. You want to go on this feeling of, you know, being overwhelmed, helpless, um, and just sort of, you know, not breathing, uh, for lack of a better term in terms of just, uh, the adrenaline rush of are these characters going to make it out of this situation and how.
0: Yeah. If you, if you ignore the, the reasoning of the why of the characters being trapped in this, in this bar, trying to get out, if you, if you completely sidestep the, the motivations of the people who have them captured, this is not a far cry from don't breathe.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, this is people who are are in a, a terrible place. Just want to get out alive. And, and there's tons of movies that have done that. It's just the window framing around it is, in this case, relative to, well, the, it's because they were neo-Nazis and they were trying to protect everything that they have um, when somebody went fucking AWOL and did something really stupid and then people from outside saw it and
2: they couldn't let them go. Yeah, but if you think about the fact that if maybe Fionke would have just not forgotten her phone none of this would have happened <laughs> that's true yes
1: absolutely true so matt do we want to uh hit people off with a recap
2: yeah i guess we should probably <laughs> recap the movie and actually go to that uh, portion of the show um Corey's far better at these things i like to make him oh. earn his keep around here i'm really scatterbrained so i let Corey handle this part <laughs> uh okay
0: so this is a movie about a band uh which is weird because it Seems like Matt, this is totally up your alley. Uh, Sort of punk band that is because they're they're because they're what because they're what they live in a van trying to make their way up and they Mm -hmm. wake up in a cornfield. That sounded like Mm you. Uh, We we all got drunk and left the van running all night. Um, (laughs) So they're they're it happens. They're touring around the country and uh, not big tours. They're playing little clubs, sometimes restaurants, sometimes lunch specials at restaurants. Favorite part yeah that was pretty good uh i liked it when hedwig did it uh they go and they go out of their way to do an interview with a guy who was supposed to also be booking them a gig the gig falls through so he gets them something else which is the the restaurant scene totally underpays them and says hey to make up for it i'll set you up with my cousin it's a little bit out of your way but it'll pay a lot more money and you just have to go there Uh, are they cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like maybe play your heavier stuff from the first few albums and uh and they go in there and they see confederate flag up the wall they see the crowd they understand that they're in a situation where they're going to have to lean into some things that maybe make them a little, little uncomfortable but they play the show the show goes over reasonably well they get paid they're walking out the door and uh like you said uh sam the guitarist she left her cell phone uh Elchin goes back to get it out of the room and walks into basically where someone has just been murdered. Uh, one of the, the guys who works for the bar has stabbed a girl directly in the head and, uh, and doesn't feel any kind of remorse about it at all. No. And so he freaks out, rightly, tries calling the police, tries to run them out of there. They all get trapped, get pushed back into the room, get locked in. And essentially, the people call the owner of the club and the guy who runs their organization as sort of the uh, the cleaner from Point of No Return, LeFemme Nikita style. And he comes in there and tries to negotiate with them to come out. But the whole plan is obviously they're not going to make it out alive. Um, and it, it goes from there. It goes from a locked room situation to them spreading it out. Uh, they, they empty the bar out. And uh, get more of their believers in uh, Justin believers, and who I assume is the same crowd, and <laughs> and they all show up and and try to take them out, and it's it's a it's who lives who doesn't, and it's not totally Pat Hollywood, but it is the you know that there's going to be two people probably that live through this and you can kind of guess at which two it's going to be. And it, it doesn't quite do the hostile ending, but it does get a little bit cleaned up at the end of like everybody gets their comeuppance in a way. But overall it is hugely uncomfortable. It is a lot of like believable moves for what they have available to them of how they managed to take some of the, people out uh it it was solid it's just it's a hard watch man it is not an easy thing to to keep track of but patrick stewart playing so against type in this i'd say this is more against type for patrick stewart to me than the movie jeffrey is uh this is just like holy shit uh he's excellent in this and and annette Yelchin i think is excellent in a lot of things uh or or sadly was uh and i i think he was perfectly good in this but he plays he doesn't seem to play the lead as much as he's just one of the group there's nothing about him that makes him seem like he's the the spectacular one that you're rooting for other than the fact that he's kind of where our focus goes most of the time the the lead singer of the band is definitely a dick and a little bit of a hothead but the rest of the band they all seem like any one of them could be who the focus is it's just again we know from watching movies where it's going to go.
1: Hey Mike, what do you know about hunting? Um, less than. What do you know about fishing? Way less than. And I know barely more than that. Is there a podcast I can listen to to know more than? You sure can. Come check out Camo and Hooks every Wednesday on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. But what's the website I can go to if I just want to listen to them all? www.camoandhooks.com. Your face right there was unbearable. <laughs> Good. And, uh, it's something, so for me, okay, uh, the autobiographical part that I tap into again, talking about things that I don't really promote or, or, you know, aren't an active part of my life as much, but I was, I was in a band, um, from 1995 to 2002, we toured a fair amount, mostly in California, but also in the Pacific Northwest and Southwest. And, um, I really related to this idea. And if I have one qualm with the movie, I wish they would have just said it in 1995 or 1994. Um, because it felt contrived to have this idea, like, oh, this band's not on social media, and they say, like, oh, we, we, uh, we don't do social media. We don't want to be, you know, really out there and have this presence. Um, the idea that there's a band touring around, living this lifestyle now, um, you know, in the year 2016 when this was released, playing hardcore music, um, like that's a little far fetched to me. It 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 exists. Yeah. I know it exists, but I'm just saying the idea that if they would have made it take place in the mid nineties, they wouldn't have had to put the social media thing together. Together. Yeah. Po- sidestepping posting on
0: Instagram. Hey, we're playing at this little dive bar out in the yep. middle of a blank. Yep. So there's no way to trace where they are.
1: Yeah. And the, even the cell phone part with it, with like her having the phone and the idea that no one else in the band had a phone on them. That was all mm-hmm. confiscated. Um, I just think it would have, it would have been a little more believable. The idea that it was so isolated. And what I tap into with that, Personally, is that I remember in like 96, 97, like we would go and play shows in Sonora, California. And that's, I mean, literally up in the mountains, middle of the state. You drive for two hours, you feel like you're on the road to nowhere. Um, and I remember playing like the skate warehouse, you know, and it was like the owners of the warehouse. And there were maybe 10 people at the show. But it's the sort of thing where, you know, I think we put out something like on our website at the time we were on like the list, which is a local list of shows. But, you know, have we been in an accident or something happened? people wouldn't have figured out for a couple of days, you know, Mm -hmm. where we were, where we were supposed to be. And, and accidents happened a lot back then because you had bands. I mean, I remember, Oh my God, I think back to now when we would have like eight people crammed in a, you know, five passenger van with all our stuff in the back, we'd have someone sitting down, you know, on the floor of the van, we'd have people like stacked in there. Um, I mean, accidents would happen. People would do all sorts of stupid things. The world felt just so much less connected. And I feel like that would have been a slightly more believable scenario for, uh, the, the hopelessness of their situation.
2: Well, I, re- I remember the first time I went out on tour having like a binder full of MapQuest directions from show to show. Mm-hmm. And we like yeah. lost it on the third day and we're like, well, I don't fucking know how to get around. Yeah. And it just, it became very difficult. But uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a far different situation as I played in bands longer and longer. GPS and cell phones and you know, you used to have to, I've heard stories of people like you have to find a payphone to call the promoter because you don't know how to get exactly to where you need to go. And
1: we did that. We absolutely did that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, that that was, you did it before I did it. I I was out of high school in 2004 and I didn't start till 2005, but you know, at least we had cell phones when I did it. Um, Yeah. I remember playing in Ohio for the first time and not recalling that there was like a, a time zone change. Yeah, and just like freaking the fuck out. But we had cell phones; we could call the promoter and be like, "Hey, we're just going to be an hour late because we didn't, you know." But before a cell phone, man, that would have, man, yeah. It's it's when I moved to
0: California from Michigan, my mom got me a triptych from AAA. That was how I knew how to take the southern route to get out here. Oh yes, I'm not (laughs) a person who follows maps a lot, so it was like. I was constantly second guessing myself and pulling off at one exit to turn around and go back the other way, and like you know, it, am I west or east? I have no fucking clue. It, it was just a lot of that, and that that's that is absolutely where horror movies today have challenges. Um, and I, I think maybe even we talked about this a little bit last week. The idea that Scream when Scream came out, it was everybody had cell phones. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of what the movie was. And so updating the stories to feature the technology of now, um, as opposed to trying to weed it out of the story and still make it believable, uh, seems in some ways like the smarter way to go. Well, but I do I do get that she was the only one who had a phone because they make the point of like when one of the guys is trying to call somebody, she's like, well, it's it's my money that pays for the phone because they were having to live on the cheap yes and that as a band i i can understand
2: and and that was the point i was going to make before is that that is the only thing that makes sense to say like well we're so fucking poor only one of us can really afford the phone how i don't know but just the whole social media thing just seemed forced like if you're a band why wouldn't you want to put it out there and be like hey this is like why would you want to make being in a band more difficult
1: yeah exactly and uh, that style of touring that they were doing of like going because i mean look man I, I i was telling this story uh the other night to, to my mom actually i'm uh, not about the movie but about my mom has a friend who wants to start singing in clubs and performing in clubs you know and she's asking me all these questions about my band days and i was explaining to my mom where i was like look it was exciting it was a great time in my life i don't regret it um i think there's a lot of great uh stories and life experiences i got out of it but a lot of time We were driving to 40 Minutes to play at a pizza place. Um, We were basically driving there for the story of playing the show, not that we gained anything whatsoever by playing the show. Jeff Gersman of Giant Bomb fame, he's the one that started the band with me. And back when it was us and our friend Brendan, it was just straight hip hop with samples before we added a live band. I remember, yeah, one time we drove to like a pizza place in Forestville to play a show um, of us doing our, you know, somewhat profane rap music, uh, our bad, you know, suburban uh, white boy rap music. And we were playing, to, we, we got free pizza and 20 bucks and we played Worth to the pizza parlor owner and we played to two parents and their child. And I'll never forget this memory is Easy e had recently passed. And for some reason I had like a promotional photo that was sent to me because I was reviewing uh, records at the time. So I had like a promotional picture of Eazy-E. It was one of the things we kept like in our binder of like lyrics and whatnot. And we just set it out the, uh, on, the, on the window of the pizza parlor in front of a candle in memory. And I remember the dad pointing to his son and he'd say, see, and they have a picture of their dead homie. <laughs> 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 the, rest, the rest of my life. <laughs> now that story and that experience, absolutely worth that that evening out of my life to sit there and and play our songs, you know, our songs like mattress disco and the yep. you know songs yeah. about uh, these these fantasy lives we wish we had to to uh, a child and and their parents and we got free pizza, but uh, we didn't really we we lost money on the the endeavor and we certainly invested a lot of time. So yep. the band in this film, the Ain't Rights. I know the existence they're going through um, and it made a lot of sense to me. If you look at the mid nineties, the type of bands you'd see featured in maximum rock rock and roll who didn't want to sell out, didn't want to go to a major label and would just, I mean, I also book shows in Petaluma uh, at the theater, here in town we'd have these type of bands come through all the time and you could tell they've been sleeping in the van, sleeping on floors. They were literally playing for gas money to get to the next venue. Uh, we would, you know, pay them whatever we could afford to, but it was a tough life and they were doing it because it meant something more to them. I don't see so much evidence that that type of scene really exists these days.
0: and, and, if it does, you're using social media because yes. that's what helps keep you alive. That's what gets your, your people to follow you around to show up to, to say, oh, we we play at these little clubs where nobody's ever heard of us. If there's the off fucking chance that one of the people in that town has heard of you, then you do everything you can to get that one person to show up at that club and preferably bring some friends so that it actually gives you some income just showing up and saying, oh, we're going to play. Nobody's ever fucking heard of us and we bring you no audience. That's fucking ridiculous. Nobody would do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I um completely fucking forgot what I was going to say. <laughs>
1: God, damn it. But it, it's a weird nitpick with the movie. And I guess in nitpicking this, it's really the only nitpick that I have with the film as a setup. I actually would go a step further. I would say not even the 90s. I would say if you would have done this and said it in the late 80s or early 90s, the reason why that would have been even better is there was no common knowledge awareness of the white power movement in those pockets Ooh. of the country uh-huh. where yeah. um and the thing you know that I thought of with this and look i claim to be no expert on the subject of neo nazis or the white power movement But I did see that HBO documentary in the 90s that talked specifically about the bands and the punk scene and metal and how they were infiltrating that. Um, I saw, what was the one with uh, Ryan Gosling where he played the white power guy that was Jewish, saw American History X. And recently I watched the Daniel Radcliffe movie, uh, The Infiltrator, which actually better than you think it's going to be. Harry Potter goes undercover with the neo-Nazis. And um, I think that my understanding is now a lot more people know about, these gangs and the section of the movement. And I feel that if they could have said it at a time before the technology was there, when the lifestyle of the band made more sense and when people weren't aware what they were like, completely unaware what they were getting into, I think that would have made it even more powerful.
0: I got to say, Dan, Dan, Radcliffe is in this great position where he gets to be brave as shit in yeah. the, in the choices he makes and the roles and stuff that he takes now, because I've seen him in a lot of very varied stuff. And even if it's just okay, it's still good enough for the watch oh, and totally. yeah and and i I am not surprised at all that he would do something like the Infiltrator
2: and it would actually be pretty good,
1: but yeah um, solid movie
2: Glenn, based on your saying so if this movie took place in the eighties, he wouldn't know as much about white power that that statement now, if that were true, would they have still been able to keep in the part where they open the show with a cover? <laughs> What was it? Fuck you Nazis or Nazi no, not No, Nazi punks fuck off. Nazi, yeah, Nazi punks fuck off. With, now, I guess you could still do it in the 80s under the same situation. They would just have to know of the white power movement themselves to be able to do something like that.
1: And they would do the,
0: the anti-Nazi uh, ABBA cover instead.
1: No, no, no. Look, that song came out in 85. And my understanding of the punk scene is that it has always been known. I mean, what... I'll ask you guys, what did you think, based on what you'd seen in the media, the first time that you met or went to a show or saw a skinhead? And I'm not talking about, like, a Nazi skinhead. I'm talking about a reggae ska guy in a flight jacket. Um, You know, I I didn't know the difference. At first, I was kind of freaked out. And then I had someone explain to me the whole origin of that movement, the way it was co-opted by uh, white power separatists and whatnot there. So I'm saying this has been a problem in the punk scene. Going back to the birth of the punk scene, that there was you know sort of this, this bad element that um, was going to those shows and using it as a means to recruit. So it was known as a problem there. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is the lengths of this empire that Patrick Stewart's character was running there with the drugs and all this other stuff like that, I don't think was, for me, probably the HBO documentary was when I first really became aware of how powerful these organizations were.
0: Yeah, where's the Time Life book about the neo-Nazi movement in America?
1: I,
2: I was... So... It, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. So, like, the, oh, the yeah. white power thing wasn't huge here. So, I never remember, s- like, seeing someone with a shaved head of me and being like, oof, that guy fucks. But I remember hearing stories um, when I was... Shocker. This is going to be a huge shocker, but roughly from the age, uh, 18 to 20, I hung out in tattoo shops a lot. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I remember meeting a tattoo artist from Philadelphia who would talk kind of about like what the music scene was like out there. And like, you know, the, the, this, the, this group of people and this group of people would get into fistfights all the time and how he got like stabbed with a a flathead screwdriver and shit. And I'm like, never, ever have I ever gone to a show and been worried about it. But also when i go to a show like there aren't a ton of people that are bigger than i am oh well there you go so and that's that's the thing that i've always had like you know my wife is five feet tall so she's like well i don't want to go to a general admission show i can't fucking see yeah and like i don't want to get pushed around and i'm like well i'm ten and you know almost 300 pounds like i don't fucking have to worry about someone trying to hit me or push me or move me out of the way so it's like the, the the things never crossed my mind because they, I never had to worry about them, yeah. So so I never noticed a skinhead movement or skinheads, and and um, I never I was never big into punk music. You know, I I think um, I saw Bad Religion for the first time 2012, 2014, oh, wow. somewhere there. It was and it was at Warped Tour too, but. It was also, you know, the, your your traditional style punk came out. Um, yeah. So there there was a few I'd interacted with in my hometown, um, and it was it, it, the, the one that it comes to mind was someone that I actually went to grade school with, and like I saw him kind of turn into like your, you know, leather studded jacket, mohawk wearing, shitty tattoo type punk guy, and uh, pretty sure he's in jail for stabbing someone. Oh well, there you go. That yeah. Was. So I, you know, it. It's not It's not as prevalent out here, so I, long, very long story short, yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, and I think yeah, I don't, movie, I'm sorry, Corey, what were you going to say?
2: I was just going to say, I don't know that I ever looked
0: beneath the surface that far to understand what the, the background of the skinhead was. I could see somebody probably recognize them as a skinhead, but I don't know that I knew the motivations of what made them that what was their calling card or anything else. They didn't look too dissimilar from skaters in the eighties. Uh, so I just would have said, okay, this is a punk rock person, maybe a little aggressive, but it, it never would have occurred to me that this is politically uh, or racially motivated in any way. I, I could see meeting a skinhead and going, Oh, that guy's fucking racist. But I don't yeah. know that I would have thought, Oh, but that's, that's sort of, that's your in with the group. I, Never would have occurred to me.
1: You know what? Uh, it was a great movie, jumping off on of that subject. Um, the first, uh, I don't know if you guys have watched any of the This Is England series. Mm-mm. That It's a TV show, but originally it was a movie. And the first one, um, is the, the, that's the main storyline. So Joe Gilgan, who's on now on Preacher and was on Misfits in the UK, uh, he plays a character yeah. and it's him and his group of friends. Joe Gilgan's amazing in it, but it's how they're just really into reggae. They're really into the specials and Dexies, Midnight Runners and bands like that. And then there's two or three guys that hang out with them that are just, Uh, white separatist, uh, you know, white Aryan socialist guys and about how they realize sort of the poison that is in in the scene to have this sort of uh, nationalist racial separatist movement infiltrate to them, which is about music and style and fashion and actually a sense of inclusion, you know, because they have people from many different cultures in their movement. So, yeah, it's a a complicated history. I mean, this whole other story of how um, that movement came to represent that but that's and that's really the difference right and i think what people i can't remember probably was around the time american history x came out um there's a couple of the movies i'm thinking about but they're saying yeah you know this idea for a long time was what's scary isn't the guy that looks like your stereotypical um skinhead it's about the person that holds these beliefs that looks just like you know someone that lives next door like, that's right. far scarier than people that identify. So long way around to it. One thing I thought that was interesting about the movie is that with uh, Imogen Poots, her character, and a few others, they kind of make the point, it's background dialogue in one scene, whether they're calling her like a Nazi, and she's just talking about, you know, hey, you don't understand. It's like, we grew up around here. It's like, this is sort of normal, but it doesn't mean that that's what we all believe in. Like, there was the idea that to some of the people that were at that show, it was a scene they were involved with not a movement or belief, even though this right. is how Patrick Stewart's character ran it. I didn't I didn't listen
0: to a lot of of rap or hip hop or things yeah. like that when I was a kid. But the friends that I hung out with did. My friends were the ones who wanted to go see New Kids on the Block or wanted to see Millie Vanilli and stuff and never music that I would ever want to listen to. But if they had said, hey, do you want to go to this concert with me? I probably would have gone because I would have been hanging out with my friends and I probably would have had a good time because I was hanging out with my friends but I would go home and still not listen to that music. It doesn't mean that I was right and they were wrong it's just that we had different tastes but these were these were my peers the people that I like to be around and or in in the case of of uh Imogene Poots character in this it might have been that's everybody that she had to hang around. Yeah. You know and you you can't always you you can decide, but then you're basically deciding to be a complete outcast. It's like being in a town that has a very strict religious culture and you're a part of that church and you may not necessarily believe in everything that that church follows or dictates, but it is your center for your community. So you kind of want to be a part of it and you probably get a lot of other things out of it. It's just that those spef- specific things you have issues with you can't really talk about because it means you're disagreeing with your social circle on something. And that's why social circles always kind of scare me. It's like I'd rather have a tight group of friends that we can all have our, our relative interests and disagreements on stuff and everything, but at least we respect one another than be a part of something that is so big that it's like when you get that bad seat in there, it's impossible to get it out and it's impossible to lead yourself um without losing essentially everything that you're a part of uh in in the in the trade-off it i totally get the motivation for the character in this that she h- kind of has to be part of it yeah but well, then if, it blows up in her fucking face
1: well and it sort of the whole, goes back to what we were talking about earlier I and mean, with everything that's going on right now i mean with the scandals uh are well, not even scandals but just the allegations that are coming to light i think that more and more in the case of art where things like this are in people's face right when you kind of realize what somebody represents and that the art is an extension of that person and their beliefs regardless of how much you appreciate the art you kind of have to have a gut check and say am i am i cool am i cool with this am i cool with supporting this in any way shape or form um and it was funny when you tell the story about drag to a show i think that you know like you were saying you know that yeah the back then it could have been new kids on the block or millie Vanilli, but um think oh what was that episode of veep uh this past season where jonah they were overseas and he finds himself he's at like you know like a, a white uh supremacist like b- concert essentially oh, when they start like posting out the nazi flag and he's just like he was there to see like a metal show you know and it turns out it's like oh and it's like please don't let anyone get any photos of this um but that's the thing you know it's and, and a lot of times um there are are bad actors uh not not bad actors in terms of bad acting but i'm talking about people who are perpetrating um it's pretty terrible beliefs that are making it more pal- palatable through art and entertainment. And I think that with, uh, w- with music, man, that's definitely a thing. I mean, that was a problem with heavy metal. Uh, you know I mean? Think about bands like screwdriver and, um, which is always the one that I think of, but when you think about how there've been a history of, um, white separatist, white nationalist, Nazi ideas through music. And it, you know, I don't think one has ever really cracked, uh, through to the mainstream because, as soon well, as don't they, forget so the we,
0: Illuminati and Jay-Z and Beyonce. Yeah.
1: But when something starts to pick up steam, <laughs> people kind of go like, no, this represents that. We're shooting it down. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's this idea that they're not going to let it gain traction or gain uh, steam because they know how dangerous it is.
0: But then you look at Scientology, and that is something that gained traction with the most powerful people at Hollywood and, and has continued on despite the fact that it should have been broken down a long time ago. And because it's done really damaging stuff to people – but even when it gets exposed, it's like, shut that shit down.
1: Mm. But see, what's funny? They, they, in that case, you have artists that were already famous for their art. That's sort of right. a part of it. So, uh, man, this is like a really deep episode of the podcast. Yeah. I feel like we're tackling a lot of stuff here, <laughs> talking about a horror movie. Uh, I mean, so to, to jump gears, let's talk about the probably the most uncomfortable part of the film. How. Those practical effects, dear God, you know, I really wanted my wife to watch this movie with me the second time. I know she likes Anton Yelkin, Um, but I told her I was like, there's going to be like four times you're just going to have to look away. And she was like, no, I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to do it. Um, But when rewatching it, not the dog mauling, uh, not the slicing the stomach open with a box cutter. It's the goddamn Anton's arm that's sliced. oh, yeah, that is the hardest thing for me to watch in the entire film and that you don't see it happen. Yeah. You
0: know something's happening on the other side of the door, but when he pulls it back in and you see how broken the wrist is and how everything's just really just torn the fuck up, it's like, oh, wow. that is Because then you have to fill in the blanks. Oh, yeah. And not having that visual on the screen makes it maybe even a little bit worse.
1: And did you guys know it's true? I had to look this up because I also watched uh, You Better Watch Out recently. Um, you can use duct tape. In in a pinch, oh yeah, the wound, like absolutely, really? you can. Yep. Yeah. I never knew that. You're supposed to put gauze over it. Go? You're supposed to put gauze or cloth over it because it'll make it easier to remove. Yeah, but you can absolutely right. use that to apply pressure to stop bleeding.
2: Well, yeah. shit.
0: Uh, it's it's not dissimilar from using uh crazy glue to close up wounds and stuff too. I
1: learned yeah. something today. Had to Google it. Thought yep. of this movie. In still, still. I mean. It,
0: how how far away from that is using staples, it, it, which is actually how they do things in medical, or or sewing stuff up, uh, like Rambo. It's it's not ridiculous that it's something that you do, and it it applies pressure and keeps things closed. If you do it right, if you actually have the training or the, the bare forethought to to know what to do, it can it can make a huge difference and keep you alive because it stems the blood loss.
1: I'm going to posit the theory that the violence is what's kept this movie from being more popular. I know we, last time I was was talking about the final girls, which by comparison, a delightful film. Oh God. So many great escapist elements to it. So emotional, (laughs) like a feel good movie about (laughs) death and dying. Um, I I think of this as the brutality of the violence. I feel like this is such a well done movie, such a well done thriller. The intensity level never lets up, uh, once the inciting incident happens, But I think it's just it's like those four or five scenes of just terrible violence that have kept this movie from being bigger, which is weird because the violence isn't really integral to the story. Like the the, the gore, rather, is not story. But I feel like to the director, did you guys watch Blue Ruin, his other film? Mm. No, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, It's got the guy that played Gabe, the skinhead that has the change of heart by the end of the film. Um, He's the star of that film. I've heard it's very good. I have not watched it yet, though. And that's like a revenge thriller.
2: I've never even heard. Yeah, of Yeah,
0: d- no, neither did I. Um, but yeah, that that seems. I could see where that would be where the director would have his other works be known, um, because it is it's a psychological. It's terrifying in in the violence and stuff, but the violence is built upon the psychological belief system of these people, and and just as soon as somebody, as, as soon as Patrick Stewart said, uh, "I need a believer." Oh, do you need two? Yeah, two's better, you know, and and the, the two kids, the one willing to stab his friend, the friend willing to get stabbed to then have to go off to to jail for it and everything else. But because they're a part of something that they know that that matters more than what's going on with them and that they'll be rewarded for it in the system. That is scary. That is the kind of power that is frightening. The the I will shut off every instinct I have that is my own fight or flight, uh, self-protection because I believe in something that's that big outside of me that matters more. And, and, oh,
1: and that's super terrifying.
0: Yeah. But at, at the same time, that can be very healthy and and wonderful for a person. If that thing is something that's good and about, you know, helping your community, helping your, your family, helping, uh, your, again, your church or whatever. Sure. That's all great. But it's still a little scary. It's still a little scary when you're willing to put your your um, self safety outside of the realm of like, well, yeah, but I, I, I still got to do this. And the fact that it's for something that we know is so. Let's say it vile um, makes it even worse.
1: Yeah, no, it could have just e- easily been zombies. It could have just yep. easily been something. I think what makes it scarier is it's based on something that that is true and that does exist. um god i feel like we're all over the place with oh yeah this one it's okay <laughs> but it's a I, tough movie to talk about right i mean this isn't like i feel like in recommending this to someone you know who i've recommended this to actually the more than anything is people i know that were in bands or that are in bands now where i'm like you have to see this it will really fuck your shit up
0: yeah yeah i i i've run uh very limited but i ran lights for this band in Michigan, my uncle was doing sound for them. And so we were up for a weekend hanging out and uh, we slept in my uncle's van, uh, but they had a a mobile home that they brought up there and everything. And it was just middle of nowhere. Could have been found dead in the woods. Four months later, nobody would have questioned anything. And uh, it it's worrisome because you do kind of go off the grid. And And at that point in time, there wasn't cell phones. There wasn't social media. Uh, there was basically BBS systems in my case, and nothing I could access from where I was. So, it yeah, it it's it's like hostile except in your own country.
1: Yeah, it's weird. We had one time we had like the Blues Brothers experience um, where we pulled up to this venue, the Mason Jar in Phoenix, Arizona, and there was there was like the grating. Uh, the, the like the fence in front of the stage it was chicken wire yeah and we we're like this is like a biker bar there were some like really tough people there and we need to go up there and play our you know hip-hop and ska music um, tell
0: me tell me you did a hip-hop version of stand by your man
1: no no but uh it was one of those like okay we're gonna get paid and that's the other thing bands make stupid decisions there's, there's always a trade-off in being in a band once, like we're doing this show because it's going to get us exposure. It's going to get us fans. We're playing to the right people. It's going to advance our career or the ones where it's, this show pays a lot of money. And let me tell you, if you, if you look back, um, actually I don't know where you look at it because we never publicized these, but headboard. Oh my God. We played like a charity, like a benefit lobster dinner, you know, where we had to play, like everyone was sitting down eating lobster. We got 500 bucks for that show um we played (laughs) at a college in front of no one during um lunchtime on thursdays because they had bands we got like three hundred dollars for that show like we would if if it was a multi hundred dollar show there was one bar that was like hey we'll pay you 600 bucks if you come here and play for the night but you got to play two sets of an hour and a half each we had 10 songs so literally (laughs) there were like long instrumental interludes Throughout the night, you know, because we was just about getting paid. We knew that we were not going to get any actual fans of that show. That was just a money gig that would get us to the next five shows that would actually advance our fan base more.
0: Yeah, it's it's the bar band. It's the wedding band. It's the things that I'll do to be able to pay to keep the equipment going, keep the, the van working so I can get to the gigs that that matter. It's 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 selling the 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 single to to fund the album that is going to contain a couple of songs that you actually consider art. It's yeah. the sweet child of mine, uh, versus, you know, rocket queen.
1: So one thing I've read also, cause I've read a lot about this movie, I think cause it just, it fascinates me. It almost kind of fascinates me. People like it. Like, I feel like I appreciate this movie on so many levels, but I think like is kind of a weird term, you know? Um, like I, I have an affection for this film, but it's not like it is, this its, it's Feel good, everybody should watch this. Um, but I think that one thing I've seen observed a lot of the time, also in talking about this movie, is the idea that the band sort of starts to abandon some of their posturing as it goes on when they have the desert island disc conversation for the Mm -hmm. interview. And then when they talk about backstage where they're about to die, everyone's talking about, oh, you know, Prince, uh, you know, all these different, not yeah, less punk bands. Um, I think that's kind of interesting too. The idea that, but, but is to, um, you guys talked about earlier, you have the different archetype of personalities, but it is almost random in terms of who survives. Because uh, I can't remember was it the singer or the drummer, or no, it was the drummer, the one that was the MMA uh fighter, you know, like he's the most legitimate badass in the band, and then he <laughs> just gets like, I can't remember, yeah, he crawls out a window and gets stabbed to death, you know, yep, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, uh, it,
1: the story
0: that I mean, he absolutely could have been, but that's that's like having. Chris Hemsworth being the survivor in cabin in the woods, you know, he, he should have been the, the guy to, to make it all the way through. He was the, the stud guy who had a really good heart and was smart, but also handsome. And like, he was our, he was our guy, but no, he, he didn't, he didn't become the guy. And then the, the potential boyfriend guy should have been our guy. He, he wasn't the guy either. There was no guy. Um, in in this, they didn't necessarily sidestep too much because again, Anton Yelchin seems like he's looked at almost as the soul of the band in some ways, or at least the outcast within the band, hmm. which makes him kind of stand out a little bit more. He, and he's not sure what his desert band is. And we never find out. Although I assume when it goes right from who gives a shit to, uh, the ending credits playing clear Eden's clear revival, that must've been the statement of like his desert band is credence. Um, what <laughs> can you blame? Him? I hope, I hope to God it is, um, but I, I, I don't I didn't feel surprised by by who died. There was certainly like I didn't want to see Elias Shawcat's character die. I'm glad they didn't show the amount yeah. of uh, seeing the dogs attack at all and seeing the dogs get attacked uh, is even that much harder. Uh, again, because I, I fucking tear up at animals, uh, even if they're the ones that were initiating the violence, because they're... <laughs> I don't know
1: about fucking... that. That's where it's kind of like... That's because they're animal. The think...
0: Because they yeah, were taught to do that. They were created as monsters. And then you see at the end the final moment is the dog coming back and not attacking them in the way that it was supposed to, but just going right past them and finding its master who's been killed and just laying down with him. That was... Oh my god, that was heart crushing in this moment of like... Yeah, but I, I I wouldn't have felt like they would not be justified in shooting that fucking dog as it's walking up to them. But he he paid them no attention because it was it was a learned behavior from the people who and that is a statement about pretty much everybody in this. I think almost yes, it's all very
1: these people, symbolic.
0: Yeah, it's a learned behavior. We have to do this because this is what we're told we need to do by the people who are in charge of us.
1: So with Gabe, the club manager. I thought his change of heart on the second time was sort of, I don't know, not as, not as earned sort of like he's down there cleaning the crime scene and he just sees those two survivors. and He's just kind of like, I didn't know how fucked up this was. It's like, dude, how did you think this was going to go when you originally intervened? He probably didn't
0: want to get his hands that dirty. He, he, he was, he was
1: calm. He was
0: collected enough of like, I can't be in charge of this. So I just have to contain it. And, and get someone who can be in charge of it down here, and then I can walk away from it. And I don't think it, his idea was, I didn't think this was going to be this fucked up. Of course, nobody expected to be that fucked up. But I think he, it was more, I didn't expect to be here for seeing all the fucked upness. And yeah, I just,
1: the guy with the pressure washer that has to clean up yeah, all, of, right, all yeah. the... Feels like kind of
0: bad for that guy. But, I, but that's just it, is you feel an empathy for the dude who was definitely like part of the instigation of everything happening uh because yeah your life is fucked and he knows his life is fucked and he would rather go to jail and and I was more impressed that he seemed to follow up on it when they let him go is like yeah you know we need the cops um yeah i'm i'm a part of this thing and they're going to come and they're going to arrest me they're going to take me away but i'd rather go to jail than have this be my life anymore um that was that's why you could feel empathy for him, but still not a lot because motherfucker, you were part of <laughs> once you saw a dead body, you're like, Well, how many more are we gonna add to the list?
1: Yeah. And the inciting incident I thought was clearer the second time I watched it through in explaining that I guess it was the guy's girlfriend that the other guy was going to escape with, um, kept behind evidence from a previous beating sort of his insurance against uh Darcy, uh, Patrick Schwartz character overcoming again, uh, after him, I thought was interesting. I mean, actually, I liked this movie that had a very tight layered plot, but didn't have an over amount of exposition like that. You really need to sort of pay attention to figure out, to unpack everything that's going on.
0: How hardcore was that fucking scene though, where the guy is like talking to, to Pat and he's like, what was that? What was that second to last song you did? And (laughs) what was the name? And he tells him the name. He's like, That was really hardcore. I did her to that. It's like, Oh fuck. Like you're already in this situation where, you know, you are not walking out of here. Okay. But that was just, yeah, I really enjoyed what you did. It made my pleasure of killing this person all the better. Choke on that fucking shit. If there was ever like, I'm going to go and do, I'm going to play fucking DC talk music after this and like walk away from the punk scene. That's the moment
1: that's it's like mr blonde meets Steelers wheel and it's just like guys i gotta tell you stuck in the middle i just i share a really intense connection
2: oh man oh god he froze <laughs> there it is oh did i yeah 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 he, you froze for a second
0: yeah. we got really tense connection and then you broke up
1: yeah um yeah man uh, you know what I wish there would have been more of? I mean, it, because it was such a badass moment is I loved their escape at the end. I love the thing when they really think about it and he shaves his head. I still don't understand the second time through why they put camo on themselves with the Sharpie. Yeah, that was, was right. Fucking
2: worse. weird. Like the whole, <laughs> the, whatever. What did they, what did they even fucking call it? Odin. What what the the hell? Hell? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Odin paint. But I loved the, their coordination at the end. I loved even when they were yelling out the stuff, the way they got the one guy down to the basement. I thought that that was, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of real though, right? Is So if you go through the process, it, it is realistic to what happened. Where they try and take control of what happened. They think, okay, we're just going to freaking go for it, man. We're going to make a run. They do that. That does not go well. They come back in, they deal with this stuff. And then you become so numb to the trauma that you actually can rationalize. Tactical plan
0: having a, a breather moment in between, and just like, Well, we're gonna die, yeah. we're, we're obviously gonna die. Let's just see what we can do to take these fuckers with us as much as possible. Um, that, yeah, and and there was at that point in time the whole thing before that was, How do we get out of here? How do we get out of here? And then they see what happens when they get out, and they're like, yeah. Well, that's not our plan anymore. So, what do we do with what's here? Um, yeah. how do we make this work now? And
1: Yeah, that was, that that. was pretty good. With the hiding in the couch and that whole thing, like that, that was a very triumphant moment. It was very good. I'm, and I guess maybe it would have been more of a trope that they didn't make it about. We're going to destroy the drugs or use that in some way, shape or form to leverage our way out of here. That was the one thing that surprised me, maybe because that would have been the cliche.
0: Yeah. and, And I also like the fact that when, um, when Patrick Stewart's character came in, uh, Darcy. Yeah. When when he came in, the fact that they eliminated guns being the, the focus of the everything it's like to make this work, to, to get rid of these people and have it not come back on us. We can't just be shooting everything up and shooting them up and everything. So we have to, it, it made the suspense better. It made the violence better because it wasn't just thoughtless shooting people in the face it was something that would much deeper of like, yeah, okay. They can get eaten by dogs. They can get stabbed. They can get all these other things. Um, But, but it's not like, it's not like it's not as simple as shooting them all and then pouring acid on them in a bathtub somewhere.
1: Yeah. I like that. They had a much more, and then made it more nefarious, twisted and scary. The idea that they were literally going to stage a reason for why they were all dead, um, tying it into the dog's, Watching it the second time, I did have the thought in the hand the gun over scene, and she's down there on the floor looking through that vent. Where it was like, why not just just kneecap them all, like just shoot them all in the knees and just run the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, that that was my only thing upon rewatch. Is I think that it get logical, con- characters to give up the gun, but it it is weird to think that the characters ever thought they were getting out of there. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and there was that
0: that some of them still were it was still a point of hope for some of the people in the room of yeah. like maybe we can come to an agreement they were still looking for just get the cops here you know just give us this this thing of like get the cops here, let's deal with this through the legal system let's let's do the safety and and just it was never going to be that but that clinging to some semblance of normalcy, and some semblance of trust of like, just please don't kill us. Just don't murder us all. It just would really suck if we all died in this room.
1: <laughs> and and they didn't go with the trope of the cop showing up at a copying in on it. A copying right. in, like that, like that they avoided actually, in a way, I mean, it seems like they purposefully avoided all of the typical ways that this could have gone. And which made it more intense and um I think a, a more thoroughly uh well done film.
0: Yeah, it wasn't an easy Writing it, it, it was like they took some some actual thoughts and they they pushed past doing the simple things. Uh, even the guy who who was in charge of the dogs, you know, knowing that he's going to lose some of his dogs and everything, the the remorse that he had of like I don't want my dog dying without meat in his mouth, like that meant something to him. Those animals meant something to him as 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 awful, awful as as it was. Again, it's that like that little bit of something human in this completely inhumane character
1: yeah there, there's probably like a grad school thesis to be written on this film <laughs> yeah. well mean, that's for one smart people the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's not I, what this podcast is but i think that's why it's an important movie right and i want to say that even though it's not the most enjoyable film that's what makes it a great movie in my opinion that's the reason why i chose it is because there's so much to unpack there's so many layers it's not cut and dry it's um, I'm trying to think of a more intense thriller. You know, we hear about the term survival horror a lot, but I feel that as far as movies go, like this is the most, I mean, the most intense one in recent memory that comes up with me. Um, I mean, I think about something like maybe before this, maybe like breakdown with Kurt Russell, you know, I mean, but think about those with this one. It's just, uh, yeah, it just does not let up and there's just so much going on there. And I think that, that that's why I appreciate it. Even if I can't say that it's enjoyable. But I recommend it if you're into that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think why it works is because it's not, it doesn't go into the ridiculousness of a hostel uh, or a saw where it tries to outthink the audience. It's seriously, it is just purely terrifying because it's very real, because the situation is unfortunately way too relatable and approachable.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's weird even in talking about it because watching it again i yeah like i told you guys i had that thought where i was like why did i pick this why do i subject myself to this you know um but i think that for me i see and i was never a fan of, of the hostile type stuff I mean, just reading about that i was like no nope, not my bag not my thing <laughs> uh first saw movie you know all props to that i think that there's a low budget horror film that did something really impressive but then it got more elaborate and lost track of it um but yeah, I think as far as sort of intense um horror movies, this is probably as real as I can handle. And and maybe it's in some ways a lot realer, as you said, Corey, than the hostels of the world, you know?
2: Yeah. Matt? So with that being said, do we do we want to rate it?
1: <laughs> do,
2: I mean, we don't have to if you don't want to, but
1: No, we, we can. I mean, yeah, let's 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 do it, man. All right.
2: So since you've been here last we changed it keep saying that every oh okay. week, every week i go through the same thing yeah I, the, the whole like three tiered masturbatorial scale i just got really hard to, to describe so we just go on a strict a zero to five for the entire movie give an explanation of your number
1: um i would i would say it's between a four and a five for me um just in terms of the sort of thing that i would put up there was art mm-hmm. in that if you want a movie that is about survival horror that is smart, not predictable, and has layered great performances, um, great cinematography, filmmaking, the intensity of it, I think is very well done. The only thing that I'll take away from it is that, yeah, not necessarily enjoyable. You know, I think it checks off everything that I think a movie should be, except for the, the enjoyment factor. And I think with that, your mileage may vary. There, it's It's kind of like the haunted house thing. You know, um, I watched Haunters. Did you guys see that the documentary about the people that put on the haunt, the haunts, mm-hmm. and the haunted houses, including the McAnney Manor, the crazy one that you have to go through like a background check, and uh, for like this real sadistic guy just like basically just like messes with you for until he I've breaks you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching that movie, and I think. Because I would never do that. I'm the type of person that will go to the universal haunts because I like the special effects. Mm-hmm. I like the production value. But I don't really just want someone to just mess with me. Um, I think this movie is probably at my line of how much I want to willingly partake in uh, a, uh, a visceral experience like this in filmmaking. So for me, that's the only reason I waver on the rating. Aside from that, I think it's, it's as perfect as a film like this can be.
0: You're allowed uh, decimal point rating, so if you want to do like a 4.5 yeah, or a like
1: 4.25. Four I'll go 4.5. All
0: right. Corey, how about you? Uh, I, I have to caveat this in that when we broke the the scores down into subcategories, it may have landed higher for me in certain ones, um, having given give it an overall. It's, just, it's such an uncomfortable movie to watch. I can't wait to get this out of my plex. Um, but it was very good, for what it's supposed to be, uh, it's just never a choice that I would make to watch this kind of film. Because we know by this point in time that I'm uncomfortable with certain types of movies, and the the Hostels and Saws and and Don't Breathe land lower for me on the scale of stuff that I would run to in in the horror category. But I don't want my score to take away from the fact, like Glenn's been saying, if you if it's your thing, you're going to really like it. Uh, so me, it's more of a three point five.
2: Ah, pussy. Um, yep, I, I, that is me. I really like this movie, and it, this is not the first time I've seen it. Um, I was really excited when Glenn picked this one. Um, it's it's really uncomfortable without being like too uncomfortable, and it hits close to home with the whole band thing. And you know, there's a lot of times where we've driven to shows, and you never really know who you're going to encounter there. I I remember distinctly playing in Chicago once, and we played in the basement of a coffee shop, in which the ceiling was so low that our drum, our, our, our singer couldn't stand straight because he's like 6'2". Couldn't stand upright. He had to like kink his neck. There was water dripping through onto my bass drum. And I, I just remember us being like, wow, this is like fucking Silence of the Lambs. And then the owner came down and his name was Bill. So we're like, God, we're all going to die. So this movie hit really, really close to home in in that sense. And that's I think that's why I like it so much. So I, I give it a 4.5.
1: Yeah. And and to what you were saying, Corey, I think that unlike hostile or saw, it's not excessive. It's not gorier than it needs to be. Um, exactly. But that being said, right. some of those practical effects are brutal. Um, yeah, the arm thing, man. And, and the box <laughs> cutter to the stomach and the box cutter to the stomach. Reason why that I think is so shocking to people is how nonchalant in that scene. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just the well. How do we know that he's gone? Let's just check. <laughs> Let's you know just that was <laughs> that was perfectly smart. Uh, and and at that point in time, I think she she had been aching to see that guy dead. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. And 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 that's that's uncomfortable too. But yeah, you're. It's nowhere near as gory as as our hostel. And that's not really what makes those movies uh tough for me. It's it's more of the just the outright anticipation of seeing someone get. Just destroyed um, in a certain way. And and those movies, as much as I enjoy saw the first one, um, they don't have the depth that this does. This is a much better example of that intense storytelling without going into the 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 cheesiness over Hollywood stylized factor. Yeah. Um, I think they all have something that they offer. For different reasons you know uh, we
1: didn't talk about it but just to touch on did, did it get you guys with the the shock of how quickly that hope spot in the middle was just literally i mean just shut down just it, we made it out
0: the door oh great you know well what's the next part it's, it's like being in cube and it's like oh we made it to the next room in the cube and now half of us are dead because of some laser beam oh, that went across the floor
1: no no, not that part uh with uh with uh the uh, uh the uh the traitor the the trader comes in and is just like, oh, well, let me show you where the shotgun is behind the bar, oh, right. and just too slow. I, I like how it's set up that where you really think like, oh, th- this is really about to change gears. We've got you know, like just going so against cliche and just literally yeah. shutting that down so quickly.
2: That was fast. Yeah, it, it's it's just a it's a fucking great movie. Like, <laughs> yes, just go watch it. Um, stop listening to this yeah. and go watch it. And on that note, Corey, you want to read us out of here?
0: Yeah. uh, If if you go watch this, we would love to hear your opinions of it, especially if you're squeamish like me uh, or a psycho drunk like Matt. You can contact (laughs) us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at pot at GNcast.com or leave us a message on the website. You can also follow the show on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We are at Podcast of Terror. We have our own Facebook page. Um, liking it, just, just... You you won't see a lot from us because fuck Facebook. But it, you, you can kind of like chat with us and stuff, and that's fun. Uh, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers. You can leave us feedback there. Also, there's this thing called Podchaser, which is in beta right now. That is... In some ways, it looks like it may hopefully replace iTunes as the review. iTunes is uh, your podcast overlord. Accept it. Uh,
1: I would love Podcasts to see that change. Apple now, Podcasts. Apple
0: whatever. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. It, it, either one is a bane to my existence. Uh, so if if you, like me, don't really love iTunes, you can go and check out podchaser.com and maybe leave it as feedback there and help that thing take off. Uh, subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe and you can also follow the network's facebook page look under galactic network and uh i think that's about it glenn where can people find you
1: i am at glenn Rubenstein on twitter and uh you know or adopter.media for my agency
2: there's that cory how about you uh man i've
0: Unfortunately, it's been such a tough month. Uh, and by the way, I apologize for having to leave mid-show last week, to to all listeners and, and to uh, to Beach. But uh, I haven't been posting in a little while on donestcomics.com, but there is still a lot of content there, and I really do plan on getting back to getting in the groove of posting the the comics every week. Uh, but you can check that out right now.
2: Uh, last thing, uh, we started a uh, Amazon affiliate page so you can help support us and make this thing free if you just go to com, shop like you normally would uh we get a small cut costs you nothing it'll keep this amazing show free for you and it'll help fund my budding cocaine addiction that's true which is not which is it's it's just beer it's (laughs) i stick to the legal stuff I'm just waiting for Amazon to start offering cocaine by drone. <laughs> just, yeah, just that drone's going to drop that sweet, sweet nose candy in my in my front yard. Uh, and then 15 years from now, we're going to be dealing with drone addiction. Jesus <laughs> the drone started doing cocaine. It's out of control. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at MattTheLifeGuard. Uh, I don't know. Tell me about good beers. I like beers. And, uh, yeah, next week, I don't know what movie we're watching. I have not gotten a response from our guest, but our guest is going to be Brett Zebarth. He's coming back. Uh, He's a guy. He helped with Karate Tortoise, and he works for a brewery. I know it's just an amazing little bit of surprise that I have found someone in the beer world to come guest on our podcast. But, yeah, that's uh, that's a guy. He's coming back. And somebody who shares my love of tortoises. That's true. That's true. It's a double. It turns both Corey and I on. So uh, that's going to do it for another episode of the podcast here. We will talk to you guys next week. Stay scary, everybody.